We're back, and you are with Villain Cast, BJJ Antiheroes, with myself, Chris the Villain Pains, weekly podcast featuring either my fellow black belt Naki Arshed on our show Reap the Week, or compelling interviews with other personalities across jiu-jitsu. But before we jump into this next show, a thank you to our Patreon subscribers. For exclusive video content and online coaching, you can find out more via chrispainsbjj.com, or you can join our Discord channel to put your ideas through for future episode discussions. For now, though, Mikatsu. Afternoon, sir. Hello, hello. <laughs> hello, right, Chris. Well, I flick into that professional mode there. It's all written and <laughs> scripts was, and everything. That was incredible. I, I've never seen you like that before. That was, <laughs> that was really... You have, you're like, you have an alter ego. Several, um, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we were saying just before we, we, we kicked in, um, you are obviously very well known throughout the jiu-jitsu world for your um artwork and your clothing and if there's anyone in jiu-jitsu that hasn't already uh bought a meerkatsu piece they will one day like everyone's got one in their wardrobe i have several um, i should have come i should have come on on brand but uh, this is just some generic <laughs> I, should have, I should have gone got my t-shirt as well underneath. so that I counts think, and so man. are you you're, you're wearing the uh meerkatsu hot pants i gave you aren't you <laughs> yeah the spats the unicorn spats <laughs> um yeah so we were saying like you know i i started um just shy of 15 years ago and when i first saw you 15 years ago you were the review guy this is pre a lot of your artwork um so i remember obviously the first stuff of tatami etc but the uh yeah you were the the gi review guy and i think i bought my first tatami gi off of one of your uh recommendations um, but for anyone who who does not somehow know who you are, sir, uh, and hasn't put a face to the name, uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, well, my full name is Seymour Yang, and I go under the jiu-jitsu name of Miyakatsu. And it's interesting, you get different, we were talking earlier, you get different generations of people who have come into whatever I do. At the moment, I'm doing a lot of artwork, um, but I'm also doing some technique videos, just a few to help promote my club, basically. So they may know me because of uh, a recent video I did on animal movement drills that went kind of viral. Um, but going way, way back, I started showing off my stuff on the internet when I started reviewing geese. Um, because geese were, you, you're bombarded with gi brands right now. But back in the day, we're talking 2000, and, uh, I guess 2005, 2006. There were very few gi brands, and they were all sourcing pretty much from factories in Pakistan who and China who weren't used to making jiu-jitsu gi, so the quality varied a lot. You could buy a gi from one brand uh, for the same price you could buy a gi from an, a competing brand, and be, there'd be completely different things. Uh, over the years, obviously, as they've become more expertise and, uh, and the demands have got higher, the, the gi market has leveled out, so... Um, but that's that's for another conversation. But back in the day, it was very very hard to find a decent fitting gi. Um, so I thought, well, I'm spending all this money on the gi. Let me just write down my thoughts uh, and put it on the blog because blogs were a thing back then, um, very popular. Uh, simply because we didn't have all the crap that we have now, like TikTok and, and things like that. The only way to sort of find out about the bigger world was to number one YouTube, and uh, number two read someone's blog. And uh, I guess I was one of the more earlier people in the jiu-jitsu scene, certainly in Britain, 
to write a blog on a regular basis that was worth coming back to to read stuff. A lot of them were reviews. Some of them were just musings about how I was finding life as a white belt stroke blue belt. Um, and that's how it started. And we're talking, I started Jiu-Jitsu back in 2003. And the funny story I was going to tell you about, I was just literally speaking to my wife uh, yesterday about it. And I said, in 2003, uh, my fiancé at the time, now wife, she was sent on a photography mission by her boss. She was, she's, she was part of a photography crew, so she was setting up all the locations. And he said, right, I know you're getting married this year, but I need you to do go on this project for me, and you're going to be in the Far East for uh, seven weeks. And she goes, oh, I can't really do that because I've got a wedding coming. He goes, well, you're going or you're fired. So he was a bit Alan Sugarish. So 2003, uh, he sends her off to Nepal. No internet, nothing. So I don't even hear from her. Uh, just to, with a photographer to to stock photography shoots. Um, so I'm at home. I have my day job, but I'm at home twiddling my thumbs. Bearing in mind I, I wasn't full meerkatsu by, back then. And I thought, I'm going to take up another hobby. And I took up Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because I heard about it. Uh, I was already doing Japanese Jiu-Jitsu. And a lot of the Japanese Jiu-Jitsu guys were hearing this thing about Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. So I thought, well, there's a gym sort of down the road from where I work. Let's pop in. And that's how I started. 2003, May or April, around about that time. And uh, the rest is sort of history. (laughs) The amount of us who, in those early days where we didn't, especially in the UK where it wasn't big at all and MMA wasn't a thing. Um, I was the same. I was a Japanese jiu-jitsu black belt. And uh, I remember the old Bullshido forums with Slidey Foot. And when I first met him, Jean, I was like, oh, no way, I've known you about you for years. But I thought BJJ stood for blowjob job. Um, and I thought the Gracies were just like another family that taught Japanese jiu-jitsu. Like, oh, like my coaches. I was wrong. Um, yes, yeah, so uh, <laughs> which school was it then that you were close to? Uh, so I worked, my office uh, still is there, actually, and we're based on the Harrow Road. And that's where Carlson Gracie London first had one of their very early embryonic gyms, full-time gyms, uh, in Royal Oak, which is West London, near Maida Vale. And it, they called it the boiler room. And it literally was the boiler room of a tower block. So you had the tower block, and you'd go down the stairs, where where the janitor would normally probably keep, um, you know, locked up children. And that's uh, where they just had these awful jigsaw mats, like the cheapest third-hand jigsaw mats they probably acquired from a youth centre. A few token jigsaw mats on the walls. And uh, my first lesson there, I walked in, and it was very intimidating because you had... Uh, mostly Brazilian instructors. You had Nelson, um, uh, Nelson Solari there. Wilson was there. Uh, two very, very prominent OGs of, of the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu scene, certainly in London. Uh, you know of Dickie and uh, Simon Hayes. Uh, they were blue belts by the time I joined, so they were there. And a whole bunch of bouncers and big scary guys and women as well. Big scary women as well. We can't forget the women they were. And there's little of me, little old me, rocking up. And they said, uh, you knew? I said, yeah. Do you have a gi? No. Here's the loner gi. And it would never been washed. It's this, It's a judo gi, like 500 grams or whatever, 700 gram judo gi. You know those like double weave gis that are like so thick you can't grab? So you can imagine the years of, whatever, months of sweat accumulating. It never been washed. So I put it on and they didn't have a belt for me. So I have this belt. And it's, you know, the competition blue and green belt, um, blue and yellow, uh, yellow and green belt. They put that on me. 
So I clearly looked like the newbie. There's no way to hide it. I looked like the newbie. And the warm-ups were like 20 minutes of this. You lie down on the ground, you're doing this. They love their neck exercises. The ne- I've never done that since, uh, you know, in any other jiu-jitsu academy. We never did neck head-nodding neck exercises. They just did that f- around the circles. You count to 10, and the next person counts to 10, and the next person counts to 10. And there might be 20, 30 people in the class. So you're doing like 100 of the uh, or more. Uh, and then it got to sparring. The, the technique was cool. Um, I, the first lesson was a spider guard, uh, which is kind of an odd thing to learn, considering that we teach fundamentals now and beginner this and that. But I just walked straight into spider guard. Uh, spider guard to triangle, spider guard to armbar, and spider guard sweep. And I thought, this is cool. And when's the sparring? So we did sparring. I teamed up with somebody who was, again, Brazilian. And he just looked at me and goes, are you new? Uh, and I said, yeah, but I'm a black belt in Japanese jiu-jitsu, so I've done some ground fighting. Oh. He went, it's not the same. Brazilian jiu-jitsu is an extreme sport. Anyway, I'll show you. And he proceeded to beat the shit out of me for the next five minutes. And I mean, really, you know, legally using jiu-jitsu. But I'd never, ever experienced that in my life. It was a real eye-opener. And I think if it wasn't for that really tough, rough, old-school sparring, I probably wouldn't have been that... Uh, had that epiphany, going, wow, this is almost like real fighting. And that's what I wanted to learn. Whereas in Japanese Jiu-Jitsu, we learned techniques, but we didn't do sparring. So the difference was night and day back then. And it really opened my eyes. Uh, Although we wouldn't do that nowadays to beginners, like literally put them in the deep end and beat the shit out of them and say, well, if you're coming back, it's sink or swim. Uh, That kind of was the attitude back then, which I'm sure you felt as well when you first did your first sessions. Yeah, it's amazing how much everything has changed in the past 13 years. Like, we care about people now. <laughs> it was that that way. Like, there's health we care that they come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they come back. Oh, you, you're worthwhile. Um, it's funny, like, so we've almost had the same origin story. Um, I was talking to someone about this recently, is that I was Japanese jiu-jitsu black belt, and I... Um, entered into a judo newaza, the old UMA up here. I remember um, that. Oh, yeah. And uh, back-to-back um, on the floor. And <laughs> because I was a jiu-jitsu black belt, I entered in a more advanced category. And so I my first fight was against a BJJ blue belt. Second fight was against a judo black belt. And my third fight was against Paul Cole. Uh, when he was still oh, the purple belt, right. wow! Uh, he flying armbarred me from kneeling. Um, but I, I was there in a karate gi in my black belt, <laughs> warming up with chain punches. Um, <laughs> about, oh, about brilliant! I had never sparred before. Like I had like I'd been down to like fighting fit a couple of times and I had my head kicked in. Like I think I had like three sessions at this point, but I was like completely oblivious. I'd never worn a gi to a competition. I essentially went into a bjj competition wearing cheese wire um and yeah they i don't know what guard was i'd never been put in a submission so all i knew was to scream um so similar what was the what was the submission what was the submission uh paul cole got me in a flying arm bar flying arm bar yeah from kneeling and the blue belt just held me in close guard for five minutes but the judo black belt got me like a clock joke or something and i just screamed um so manly scream yeah. 
So we've had a very similar like epiphany, like, oh, this is real fighting. I don't know what I was doing, but you did it in like a relatively controlled environment. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, to actually compete as well. I, I, some of my students from my Japanese jiu-jitsu gym came with me to like support, like, yay, Chris, oh. woo. Were they all doing this at the end? <laughs> and there's me just like screaming as they're trying to rip my head off. Um, <laughs> so we wouldn't let students do that these days. <laughs> oh, he's rejoined. Hopefully that doesn't affect it. Well, I can cut it out if I need to. I can paste yeah. it together. So, okay, so uh, I... You got my story about the uh, my first ground fighting competition. No, with I my, with... kicked out just as I was about okay. to hear that. So, so uh, I'll repeat the story again. Yes, with added emphasis on the funny bits. <laughs> <laughs> so, just following on from what you said, uh, I had uh, my first ground fighting tournament. Was I was still doing Japanese jiu-jitsu, but I had done a year's worth of BJJ. Uh, actually, not with Carlson's this time. I had joined uh, Eddie Cones. Um, but that's an aside because once a year our Japanese Jiu-Jitsu Association would have a big meeting uh, you'd have a seminar with loads of these red belts or whatever belts they use and right at the end of the day a bunch of us would do some tournaments like ground fighting, kata just almost as a fun thing it wasn't taken that seriously apart from me, I took it very seriously so I thought with my one year of BJJ I'm going to absolutely wipe the field uh, with with this ground fighting tournament so we did this. we didn't start back to back but we started on one knee uh, uh, you grab, and I was doing cartwheel guard passes. I was, I, w- I pulled guard and then intentionally opened my guard just because I wanted to show the effectiveness of BJJ against somebody who didn't do BJJ but did regular ground fighting. And to be fair, he didn't do anything against me, but it was just me dicking around. It was fu- uh, three minutes of me dicking around. It, there's actually grainy footage, footage of me on YouTube doing this, uh, and I was shocked to discover that I'd lost the match because the referee was just looking at me going what was that and he awarded to the other guy because the other guy wasn't dicking around so that was about almost 20 years ago and fast forward to last year where I entered a black belt tournament um, at the Mauricio Cup and I also was dicking around uh, using your shit (laughs) and then there's there's video on YouTube of me dicking around using defensive jiu-jitsu understandably not winning the match because I'm just dicking around so <laughs> in both cases I didn't get submitted so I count that as a moral victory yeah exactly um, you know just uh, you, at least you have form and consistency <laughs> over 20 years just doesn't matter if you're a white belt or a black belt you just dick around <laughs> um, so you you know you started through Carson's and then you Came up through Mill Hill and Nick Brooks, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, just prior to uh, just prior to Mill Hill, I uh, I a new uh, club had opened up near where I live in East London, uh, run by Eddie Cohn. So I was with Eddie for about three years, three or four years, uh, and then we moved house to North London. And coincidentally, Mill, uh, Nick had just opened up his gym in Mill Hill, so that's when I joined his. So I joined Mill Hill, and honestly, I can't remember the the the, the time, but I was a blue belt something strife back then um, and I must uh, I'm, I, and I'm quite open about this I, I felt that the, being a blue belt in my previous gym and then blue belt at Mill Hill was worlds apart because Nick was a very competition heavy um, <laughs> club He everyone competed they competed from white belt onwards 
and uh, at previous club, uh, you know, no disre- disrespect to Eddie, but he doesn't run a, he doesn't focus on the competition side. It's all about the technique. And interestingly, as an aside, um, Eddie has since evolved into a much more self-defense focused, great sort of old school Gracie style jiu-jitsu academy. And all respect to him, and uh, we're still good friends. But when I moved transition to Nick, the difference was light and day. It really was. I had never experienced training Brazilian jiu-jitsu in a heavy competition-heavy environment because every round, even if they're not trying to kill you, there's purpose, there's an objective to achieve. There's, you know, some guy's got a tournament in two weeks, you know, because can we start from guard? Yeah, okay, start from guard, and he's trying to really try and submit you or sweep you, as opposed to dicking around, which is what I'm used to, right? So the, there was a, it was quite a, a cultural change. Um, I think my benef- jiu-jitsu benefited from that. And, um, but you know, it's it's horses for courses. I, I don't really go into a debate of old school Gracie versus more modern gyms because it's it, there's no right or wrong in, in my opinion. And we're all here to learn from each other. I'm sure there's stuff you still use from your Japanese jiu-jitsu like wrist locks and things like that that you sort of cheekily add in every now and again because I do. <laughs> if I'm going to teach wrist locks on Thursday, because <laughs> these guys, even guys who trained with me for past five six years, if they don't do wrist locks, they don't know them. They're not going to know. So how are they going to learn? So I'm going to show them some wrist locks. You know, what the hell? You know the Aikido wrist throw? Where you, yeah, that's great. You know, as in when you grab the hand and you just roll it outwards. Yeah. And they like see Steven Seagal through the air. Yeah. Yeah, I've been, I've been hitting that on some blue belts recently. <laughs> so just like, and I scream Aikido as I do it. Um, it's just exposure. If, you, if your students have never been exposed <laughs> to it and they have it done for the first time, they're like, this shouldn't work. What is this shit? Yeah, I just did it on you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It does work. Speaking of Eddie Cohn, then were you there when Viking Wong was there? Yes, Viking. Yeah, we're good friends. Yeah. Uh, he was one of the. Uh, he was in one of my first competitions. He, we. we oh, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, I think he. I think he just got his blue belt when I competed against him. I saw like a blog post where he wrote about he had this blue belt, and uh, I fought him at ground control. That's going back Manchester, like 2009. It's a no-gi competition, isn't it? Yes. Um, mm. Very, very busy competition. Because this was like, i say like 13, 14 years ago. Um, I think there was at least 30-plus people in my division at White Belt, like that long ago. Um, and the final was uh, me and Viking. Um, so, yeah, I, he then went to Urban Kings for a bit. I saw him again there, and then he's in Hong Kong now, isn't he? Um, I think he might be in China now. Uh, we've right, kind okay. of, uh, I've kind of lost track of what he's up to, but um, for a brief period, uh, we were sort of uh, in the same gym. And then after I left to go to Mill Hill, we used to still meet up because we had this thing called the Chinese BJJ Association, where a bunch of us Chinese or Chinese-looking people, or even not even Chinese people at all, would join and meet up, and we'd find a different gym around London. Uh, just to just to roll, it was just an open mat, and and then we go for a massive dim sum afterwards. So uh, I kind of like spent more time with Viking doing that thing. He's a very qu- quietly spoken guy. He does his talking on the mat, but he's like yourself, legitimately good uh, rolling person, person to roll and compete against. I mean, he's very very good. Even back when he was a white belt, he's he's one of those guys that's just it just comes naturally to him. I think it helps that he was. Um, either an Olympic swimmer or potentially an Olympic swimmer in his youth so he clearly has that athletic heritage oh damn I didn't know about that about him but I remember him being jacked that's all I remember 
Um, I think that it's amazing. Like, you know, look back at the that first tournament. Um, they actually did well at. I think it was October two thousand nine, and Saul Rogers was there. Uh, obviously went on to Ultimate Fighter and he still trains. Um, Viking was in that division with me. Uh, so yeah, I was like, damn, those those the the dropout rate wasn't as high as you think it would be. No, old school, old school legends. Old school, and yeah. We're all still knocking around, I imagine, but just yeah. just not online and not needing to show off because let the kids do that. You know, I'm just yeah, running exactly. my gym or I'm just, just teaching. Yeah, so <laughs> I was at Eddie's for a bit and then when I moved to North London, Nick had just opened up He'd been already been training with Rogers for a while, and he was again. He he comes from a traditional jiu-jitsu background. He was a fifth degree black belt in his own style, uh, in the style that he was teaching. But he just thought, I don't want to do this anymore. I love grappling. I love competing. So he just converted that gym into almost overnight, converted that gym into Brazilian jiu-jitsu, uh, and put it under uh, as an affiliate of Rogers. And all the guys who wanted to stay with him, they stayed with him. And all the guys who wanted to not deal with that and carry on the traditional jiu-jitsu they left with uh, the other instructor to do that I think they're both in Mill Hill I haven't spoken to the other guy for a while now but we were I, I used to visit a lot even in his Japanese jiu-jitsu days because our, my the club I was at and his club were kind of like not affiliates but we would be friends so we would sometimes turn up to each other's clubs just for a little bit of us play around and I always knew back then Nick is the person I would I would love to learn from because he was he's just one of those people that had so much martial art knowledge, let alone his Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu knowledge, which people know about now. But even back then, his just his general knowledge of fighting, combat, martial arts, just is 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 encyclopedic. And um, I just thought this guy can really teach myself. He's a proper sensei, old school sensei. Although he would hate to have been called that, you know, because he's just call me Nick, fuck's sake, call yeah. me that sensei shit. No, yeah, like you could. <laughs> I, you know, I went to Mill Hill a couple of times, and you could definitely feel that that. Yeah, it's always from the from the top down that creates the environment, and you could definitely feel that with the Mill Hill environment. The the few times I went, um, I think I went. Uh, when did I go? I think I was a, I was a blue belt. Nastasio was uh, there, and I think he was wrecking people at the time. Um, Silver, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, we're all connected. Um, yeah. You know Max Bickerton, who trains with Silver. I think he runs London. I Black don't know or- him. Oh, okay, right. well, he's 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 one of those other black belts. He trains with Ross Owen and a few yep. of the other big hitters around London. He was actually one of my first students. <laughs> um, oh, really? Wow. Yeah, he's he's from up here. He was uh, he was at sixth form and college and all those other things. And uh, yeah, he went to he came to my gym for a period of time. When he went to university, he went to Braulio's, finished university, got a job in Kings Cross, went to Urban Kings with uh, Jude and Viking, and then gets in with uh silver and ross and owen and wow now's... so he's pretty much had non-stop high level training all throughout <laughs> that was a white belt i have no idea what the hell was happening like, i think i had one year more than he did and he had zero um but that's so it's it's yeah there's some of us old old school people still knocking around um and it's it's i guess that jiu-jitsu scene in the uk can still be very entwined we all seem to know each other in, in it's still quite ways. small. It's still quite small. Even though you probably see uh, a full-time gym in almost every big city and town, yeah. and sometimes multiple, I still think the community is small enough. Where you recognise faces when you go to seminars, yeah. you go to competitions. All right, mate. Right. Half the people I don't remember their name, but you know they just go. Remember last time I saw you at that thing? All right, man, how's it going? And it's there's a, there's a really good brother and yeah. sisterhood community which I I still like. 
I, I'd hate for that to change, but I would still like jiu-jitsu to grow more. I think we're somewhere in the region of like 500 UK black belts by now. It's something ridiculous. I think it was 300 a few years ago when I got mine. Um, so it just it boggles my mind that there could be 500 black belts just dotted around the UK. Wow. And trying to get just one or two to get into a competition together is <laughs> nigh on impossible. It's always empty. Um, I'm, I'm, sim- I'm sympathetic to at least my division. I'm, I'm 55, so I'm Master 5. Oh, damn. Uh, sorry, I'm 54, so I'm Master 5. Next year, I'll be Master 6. I'm also under 60 kilos, so I'm tiny, right? So I'm like almost rooster weight. Um, how many rooster weight geriatric pensioner uh, black belts are there in the UK? In the world, I mean, <laughs> probably quite a few, but people that actually are committed to competing, which is why last year I wanted to do these competitions. I, I competed three times and I wanted to do these competitions because I thought I may never get the chance again. And also, uh, I just wanted to just have a swan song before I decide that I don't want to compete anymore. Uh, and it was also good motivation for me to just moan at, the, at my own students for not competing. So look, if I can fucking do it, you can do it. And, you know, I'm as scared as you are. You try and fight a black belt is going to rip your flipping foot off with a heel hook, you know. <laughs> and all you have to do is enter a white belt tournament, you know. That's I'm just saying, do it. So that was my motivation. I think that's something that Christian Graugart said: is that for any of those people like complaining about when they compete at all the various belts, like okay, yeah, if you're a blue belt or a purple belt, anyone you're fighting is maybe one year above or below your experience level. You go a black belt. I'm Andre Garval's weight. Like, <laughs> I don't want that smoke. Um, and then you know you're you, you're probably in the same kind of region as like Mikey Musumeci, and you think I don't want that. Like, that's that's a different breed there. Did you see him doing so? He's posted videos of him doing Muay Thai in Thailand. Yeah, he's, he's taking that up now, and presumably with a with a view of maybe doing some MMA in the future. But he's just one of those geniuses that has the. He's just like a little athlete, and he just picks yeah. it up. He goes and has a very high level. Yeah, exactly, and it's yeah. You yeah, you said there like if you're whinging at blue belt, like you go you, go on then. I have to fight these savages. I could be against someone who's like maybe you know been a black belt as long as I've been training. Like, what does that tell you? Um, I don't want this. Um, so yeah, so you talked about you know when you first started, you you were doing a lot of uh, the gi reviews, and I think I say I I remember those days as a bad boy. Was it Bad Boy? Blitz. Um, the Blitzkies. Good Lord. Bad Breed. That was it. I'm pretty sure my rash guard of them melted. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, that's the quality. And the old Yako stuff where you had the rubberized... Um, Print on oh, the front. Yeah. yeah. And that, it, the shorts would last one use before the, the rubber would come off. <laughs> um, the old days of jiu-jitsu before we, we could make decent clothing. Um but I say you, you. I think along with uh, Slidefoot, you were one of the, the the original people to to review seminars and review um, early YouTube work. Which I think that just means submissions one hundred and one. I think that was all that was around in those days. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. Actually, I mean, fair play to I forgot his name, but he got Harry ha- found it? out, didn't he? Found out that he was nothing more than a he wasn't even graded in BJJ, and yet he was showing black belt techniques like this is how you're going to win a match yeah Ari how oh, many matches what's his name uh, none it was it Brandon or Ari or something like that I remember his face completely oh that's going to bug me I wish I'd looked into it before I came on <laughs> I did like you know like how Rogan has a Jamie like someone like you know Jamie bring this up I'm, 
Maybe one day I can have a Jamie. I thought that's what Naki was for. <laughs> yeah, he just, he's just sitting here. <laughs> just bringing up stuff. Um, uh, anyone who listens to this, please comment that guy's name. If you're a round of Submissions 101, the only guy who used to put anything on YouTube when, at the beginning. I had, um, I had uh, before I, I even did BJJ, I got the Gracies in Action tapes. It was like a third-hand re-recording on VHS. Oh. And also, Craig Kukak and Henzo Gracie's One Million and One Techniques. I don't know. They put out this massive mm. volume of of content. Uh, I haven't even... I can't even... I haven't even seen it for decades. I can't verify whether techniques were any good or not. But it was the usual thing. You've got Craig Kukak, who's 10 foot tall. Immense. Mm. Yeah, so this is how you put a headlock in. This is a cross-collar choke. This is like, and it just looked like a gigantic mountain gorilla doing a technique. I think this doesn't talk to me. I watched the whole thing and I thought, put it to one side, going, mm, it's not really useful. Um, so let's go to a proper class. Like all the other ones are like Mario Sperry and. Hey, Mario oh. Sperry's a legend, and they were good. He is. Did you go to the ADCC in 2011 then? Yeah, so Mario. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um,. A bit disappointed. I was expecting more fireworks, but it, I think the, they kind of neutralised each out, didn't they? They were so good that they neutralised each oh. other's mastery. Yeah. I thought you meant the event had lo- not as many fireworks then. No, the super fight. Oh, thank God. I was like... No, the event what? was amazing. Yeah, that's one of the best ADCCs yeah. there's ever been. Yeah, was... you, Marcelo the... Garcia, Cron Gracie, you've got... Like, oh, my goodness. Cyborg was there. It's like, oh, it, was, it was a who's who of the best of the best. It was the last good one i think of like the legends so yeah you had yeah. Haffer, yeah. you had uh, yeah yeah um cabrinha yeah yeah ryan hall was there japanese yeah. dude with an all-in-one gimp costume it was amazing uh barrett yoshida jeff glover i oh yeah that was yeah they all left after that and it's yeah. so wild yeah. to think that that we were so lucky to get that kind of final even tehere like yes. yeah not tehere uh yakare uh, no uh yes yeah, yeah yakare not tehere um yeah. Oh, dude! Like, You're right. What? Now that you say it, that was the last of the, the the memorable ones with the legends of the game for our generation of, of yeah. people who started. Um, Pretty much by the following one, it was all change. Um, the following one was in China, I think. Yeah, uh, exactly. Beijing. That did yeah, the and it was, that did the uh, merchandise for it, um, and then after that, coming. Uh, I think that's when it after that, that's when it went to America and stayed there. I think. Yeah, yeah. No, they they did Helsinki. Oh. Was that oh, okay. 2017? I think was Helsinki or 2015 was Helsinki. The one I um, wish I'd, I'd been to and seen was the one in Barcelona with with uh, Braulio's reverse 2009 triangle thing. That that would have been amazing. Yeah. All I have are clip video clips and and some pictures uh, to yeah. sort of imagine I was there. Oh, it's whenever you know newer people into jujitsu who are like you know getting to understand what ADCC is and Gordon Ryan are like, you do know it was in Nottingham. Like, <laughs> he's like, what? Why? Why would it be in Nottingham? And even then, like asking that question now, like, yeah, why would it be in Nottingham of all places? Um, you know, you know who funded all that. Um, that was obviously ADCC have money, right, to pay yeah, yeah. big big salary, but they don't pay for the location. They don't pay for uh, everything. The they don't pay for. Let me get this right. They look after the athletes. Mm-hmm. So you get a prize money, and for most of them, they'll pay for your flight there and a little bit of accommodation. But everything else okay. is up to the organizer of that venue, 
that event to fundraise. So the, whoever organized um, the Nottingham one, they had to sort everything out in terms of promotion, getting bums on seats, mm-hmm. um, paying for the ice rink. Um, but I think that has to be the, down to the organizer rather than ADCC. This mm-hmm. was before Mo Jassim, I think, took over anyway. And so Masaru was the brand Masaru that pretty as... much funded everything. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that that's a brand owned by Braulio, Roger, and uh, Victor Estima. And yeah. I did a little bit of work with them. I, I did uh, some reviews. And they, But obviously, they weren't the money. They were the front people. Somebody had poured a lot of money into that brand, and mm-hmm. part of the advertising was to promote ADCC. And it goes on to a wider question. I still see brands now, since we're talking Fightway, and I run a Fightway brand, where <laughs> you'll see a massive investment of money coming in, and you see there, your Facebook is probably spanned with adverts from certain brands only, a few small brands. Yeah. That costs a lot of money. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a finite amount of people you can flog merch to, right? So I also see brands who, like Supernovas, explode, and you see them everywhere, and then you never hear of them after a while. And there's a couple of brands doing that now where they've had a little bit of investment. And I just question the wisdom of that kind of approach because you're just throwing money, throwing money, yeah. and without a guarantee of success. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not complaining because some of those hire me as an illustrator and they're <laughs> quite happy, and they pay <laughs> me. They pay me all right, so I'm not gonna not gonna name them, and I'm not gonna no. uh, say stop. But I just, it's not how I would do it with Mikatsu. No, no, it's a it's that long game approach. Like Tatami and Scramble, like they've they've done well. Um, I think I remember, I think it was Scramble. Their first ones were the Aoki style spats. Yeah, that's really like got people's rainbow interest. Spats. Oh, yes, I still got yeah. my rainbow spats. Um, that's how old school I am. Um, <laughs> when Aoki was cool, uh, <laughs> I like how we said we're not going to go into clothing. I'm like, we've gone to clothing because <laughs> everything <laughs> everything gets funded through clothing. Done, we talked gear reviews. That's clothing. So yes, exactly. Um, and that so that brings all the way round. Like so, you now run, or no, you coach. Um, I went to your your gym recently uh, for the Ryan Hall seminar. That changed my life. I keep quoting that seminar. Um, I thought you'd like him because Ryan, as we know, is a very conceptual kind of thinker. I was I was out at his gym last year, and uh, so I got to see him in the wild actually teaching class not just seminar and i was like is he the oh. same is it the same kind of style does or does he save his special stuff for seminars oh no mad as fuck like <laughs> i like because we were talking after the seminar we were like we almost like turned it into a drinking game was what does ryan mean <laughs> like um when he's like going down his like rabbit holes like if you were immortal what would war be like? And we and you was like looking at each other like the fuck. <laughs> um, yeah, it's exactly the same. Um, it, but what makes it more interesting is that it's very call and response. I kind of noticed is that he'll say something and his students will finish the concept. I'm like, damn, that's impressive. Like they they know everything inside out. Um, and everyone's everyone. It's one of the toughest gyms and more most consistent gyms I've ever rolled at. Like everyone felt like a monster. Like even blue belts, purple belts. So every time I've actually felt like, oh god, I need to like really look after myself in here because I might get hurt. Um, super impressive. If you ever get a chance to go to the DC area, it's a very uh, quick ride out of the, out of the city to get to Ryan's. I think what also helps is that in the area you've got probably a dozen. Very, very high level uh, gyms there. Um, yeah. 
I mean, they, they all feed off each other when they compete on the local circuit. I, it just you can just imagine. It's, it's almost like the uh, the California scene where where sort of yeah. the best pushes the best. You've got the DC area, uh, and you don't quite get that in other areas in the US. No. I think we've got that whole like northeast corridor. Texas, thing. Not, yeah, Texas also um, parts of Texas yeah. also. Yeah, that's that's jumping on on the scene over the last few years. But yeah, when you've got like New York, you've got Jersey, you've got DC, and and all those kind of places sitting around each other. Like yeah, they just they're feeding into each other. At the time so you have got the northeast, which is very very good. Uh, the the southeast, which you've got Florida, and so you've got everything that kicks around there. Um, California and yeah, Texas and screw the flyover states well I guess Illinois like you know we've got Daisy Fresh and a lot of things come out yeah. of Illinois as well yeah, Chicago just, yeah 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 exactly St. Louis kind of area um, yeah we don't quite get the um, I guess I guess if you were going to think of the UK and there was a concentrated hub of very very good teachers and students and we're not looking at London I would I would probably class um, Birmingham and Manchester as, as Manchester is pretty much up there with some legitimately well-established clubs with turning out some really good students and, and outside of the UK uh, you know the, the Irish scene is kick, is blowing up as well so that's yeah. that's amazing and we're thinking domestically uh, in the Europe um, we're not even touched upon I mean you've, you've travelled around for the camps you must have seen what the East European guys are like and the Scandies are like I mean genuinely scary people <sighs> Dude, uh, when, it's, when you hear a Polish accent, you just go, oh, no, <laughs> this is going to be a rough one. Or like, the uh, if you ever get a chance to go to the uh, Iceland camp with, with Globetrotters, that's just full of bears. Um, wow. What's the best just... Globetrotter, do you reckon? Because I, I, it's, it's another one of my bucket list to do a Globetrotter camp, and I keep talking about it. I never had the chance, but I'm, I think next year I definitely want to, or at least the year after, definitely want to try and book one. What do you reckon is the best one to start off as a, as a newbie Globetrotter? As a newbie? Um, I think for ease, I think Heidelberg is very easy, quick, oh, okay. close to get to. Um, it's just Frankfurt, and it's a it's a good week camp, and Germany's nice. Um, but for for immersion, I think one of the best ones I felt is Maine. Um, oh right, you're up in the uh, it's, it's a like a scout camp, like a boy scout camp um, in the middle of nowhere. It's like 45 minutes from the nearest urban settlement. Um, and you're all living together. You're all in like log cabins. You know, it's like a summer camp, and uh, you can train all day, and you all eat together. And it's it's very you know you live the full globetrotter life. And there's like a big lake, and there's kayaks, and so people are going out on the lake and paddleboarding, and then they're coming back and training. And it's it's very close, amazing, and very impressive. Uh, I was very shocked by that one. But Heidelberg's always a good shout. And Iceland, if you want good rolling and an amazing gym. Um, I mean, I guess if they live in six months of darkness, what else are you going to do apart from eat eat whale, lift a lot, and do jujitsu? Um, <laughs> and they do it very well. Each one, each one of those categories. <laughs> yeah, it's it's because they've got like a cold uh, cold bath and a sauna and and everything in the gym, and wow. you need it after training. You walk off the mountain like this hurts. Like I need to go lie down and somewhere somewhere that will heal me. Um, I mean, I mean, speaking of Christian, who 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 founded the Globetrotters, uh, he first um, I first heard of him when he because he was a blogger, of course, uh, around Shogun the same HQ. time I was blogging, 
and he just started his globetrotters, I'm going to travel around the world and blog about it. Uh, this was even before he wrote his book, mm -hmm. uh, Join Me in My Journey. And um, I, I definitely... Uh, knew of it because uh, there was uh, the Fightworks podcast. Do you remember the Fightworks podcast? They would do their annual blog of the year a review um, um, awards, and Christian won it the year that I'd really made a big effort to do some good reviews and make some great content <laughs> for my blog, and I never got a shout. And I was, I was looking at Christian, going, "Why you, you pipped me to the post?" And I probably I, wasn't I even in the running, but uh... yeah, I remember. I was, I was. It was, it was you, Slidey Foot, and Shogun HQ. That's where I learned my They're first bit wrestling. Much was only about three bloggers, I never won the award, and then they stopped doing it. Fightwork podcast stopped doing it. But then Christian, uh, bless him, he, he said, Look, I've written a book. Do you want to read it and review it? I said, Yeah, sure, I read it. And uh, it just sounded like your wet dream of jujitsu, just traveling the world, mm -hmm. just, a, just a gi, going to the, the, the best countries and some of the worst ones as well. But it doesn't matter. Either spreading jujitsu or joining an, a, a, a nascent community there. Um, this must have been 10, 12 years ago, right? I mean, it's been a while since he, he did that. And but that remember... to blow up into the camp thing, Globetrotter camp now, is amazing. And a, and a very, very important voice in the community. Uh, when it's dominated by the IBJJF, he's been an important voice in that. And I, hats off to Christian. You know, he, he's, oh, uh, he's an important voice. Completely. I remember, I remember Shogun HQ. I remember hearing about this Danish kid that was going to go around the world. I then remember the book coming out. It was end of 2012 because I read it literally as it came out um and then it was april 2013 he did a seminar in bolton and he he mentioned it was a uh, um carl fisher's uh back when he started carl yeah yeah um and then he uh he did a we had a we caught a train back to manchester together and he mentioned that it was going to start an affiliation for independent gyms and that was the because it was I think the first UK ones were when you started with us and Nate Leverton, Leicester Shoot. Um, again, another old name in jiu-jitsu. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's such yeah. a great jiu-jitsu. I've been to yeah. Leicester Shoot a couple of times for seminars, and uh, it's such a great place there. Actually, I love their gym. It's like an old warehouse, mm. isn't it, with a glass yeah. roof? And yeah, yeah. that's that's when because I went to a Ryan Hall seminar there. 2011, I think it was when you was over ADCC. Um, oh, it makes you feel old, doesn't it? Reminiscing. It's amazing, um, all these names. <laughs> um, so, going on from Globetrotters then, there's a grumpy, bald Estonian elephant in the room. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I think... You're, you're Jiu-Jitsu dad. Oh, yeah, I know. He hates he it like that. that as well. He doesn't like it, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whenever I'm with Raul over in Amsterdam, I'm like, he, he, like Raul will do something like, not in front of dad. I'm like, it's like, shut up. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, the bald Estonian elephant in the room. Um, obviously, he, he came to prominence through Globetrotters. He hadn't done anything really. Like, very, only very, like, you know, you had to be in the know to know who he was prior to Globetrotters. Uh, I'm sure that's probably how you first came about him as well, his original Globetrotters videos and fanatics. I think it was Jun that actually first introduced me to oh. the the Preet world. Jun first, because I think he went to a Globetrotters camp and yes. it was one of Preet's earlier teaching sessions and he happened to be teaching Hawking. 
And then Jen, Jun had this big debate. Was, I don't like it. He calls it that. It's very demeaning for people with uh, that uh, syndrome uh, or whatever. Uh, Jun, you know, Jun obviously has mm -hmm. an objection to the name, and fair enough. Um, and that I picked up on that conversation. I thought, well, what do you mean? What is Hawking? What is this? So I looked up whatever the video was recorded mm -hmm. at the time. Thought, this looks really weird and interesting. Um, had a play with it. Wasn't really convinced with it. Put it down. And then COVID happened. So when COVID happened, I thought, what am I going to do with all this time? Like everyone else, just could do a deep dive in all the instructionals that you bought and never watched. <laughs> of fanatics. And one of them was there was a daily deal on Preet's uh, grilled chicken, actually. Grilled chicken. And I thought, oh, I like this. I'll use it whenever Jim's legally set up again. Uh, and I, at the same but I, I quite like the concepts. Uh, and then his other videos came on daily deal so I bought pretty much everything on Preet and just over the period of three or four months uh, did a deep dive and ingested whatever I could watched all the Globetrotter videos and then luckily my friend was uh, had converted his garage into a dojo this was still during lockdown uh, but when we were allowed to have a bubble of some sorts I don't know <laughs> maybe I shouldn't drop a minute but anyway it was during a time when not many people were supposed to be training but I thought fuck this so Pretty much a couple of times a week, two, three times a week, I would go to his gym, and he's a purple belt, really good purple belt, and his wife is um, is a blue belt, so I knew I was going to get some good roles in. What a great chance to try this stuff I've been learning. So that's the chance. So for the next ensuing three, four months when we were still in the basement, all I was doing was uh, the defensive BJJ stuff. Uh, and your video helps as well, though. I, I, I can't remember the timing of that, but um, you must have done that defend everything before COVID, didn't you? I think I think I it was, was before one was it month just into after? being a black belt. No, it was, it was um, April two thousand and nineteen. Uh, four years now. Yeah, um, it was before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so all these, I knew that Prit wasn't alo uh, alone in these concepts. That with your content and latterly Raoul and a couple of other sort of voices supporting that, that there was a thing there. It wasn't just some maverick dude showing you some yeah. weird shit. It was supported by other people who said, look, I've used this. This is how I, I interpret it. So I thought, well, this really speaks to me as a small guy. He's an old guy. I'm not very fast. And I'm, I don't particularly want to be athletic against like young 25-year-olds. What can I do? And Preet's sort of synopsis before he teaches a seminar of why he teaches it and what it's used for spoke to me. And that's why I thought I persisted with it because, you know, I love Preet. He's, a, he's, he's an interesting fella, but you do have to persist to absorb the information that he's trying to give you because you know that boy can talk <laughs> you came to a pre-camp at my gym and yeah that was it like 16 hours we usually put those things on for over a Saturday and a Sunday like, and he he fills the time I and think he taught the, two uh, techniques <laughs> I think the I think the first one he did back in 2000 and it may have been the end of 2017 was 16 hours on grilled chicken over two days and but you got damn good at grilled chicken after that yeah you had no choice um <laughs> you, you had no choice but to just absorb and listen um oh God, i think as well because nothing had come out at that point i'd met him at the copenhagen camp and i met him again at heidelberg and i was like oh damn could i get you to the uk and so, because there was no content that he'd made online at this point, trying to convince people to come to the seminar, I was like, oh no, there's this guy, like, he's really good. Like, you'll really like him. <laughs> like, maybe not like him, but he teaches some good stuff. 
<laughs> um, <laughs> he, and, uh, Preet does very a good job of not making you like him, you know, he's <laughs> um, and and not give a shit whether he does. And but he must have some sort of soft spot because he, he, he does notice when Reddit kicks off. He goes, ah, they're bitching about me on Reddit again. Here you go. Here's the link. Just say what you want to say. He's he's a softy. He loves Britney Spears. Um and that's not a joke. Like he he I'm sure. <laughs> he's so, he's softened a lot com- compared I think one of some of the first words I ever heard him say at the first camp were I'm going to force you all into close guard and heel hook you. You don't have a choice. Like, <laughs> he's hilarious. <laughs> um so and this is what's interesting there is like you say you 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 saw the the value I guess of defensive BJJ um I came down and this is going to sound weird I came down to see you 2021 was 2021 it that might was before be. covid then was that bastard no no it was it was just after we kind of all came back around and could train again it was about maybe I october can tell you 2000 exactly. I'm going to type it up right now Make oh, so many report Oh no, I didn't. I didn't do a review of you. Oh, I, ju- I just mentioned you on. I didn't do a blog review. Oh, sorry. Next time That's you come, okay. I'll do a blog review. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, yes, uh, you 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 pretty much echoed um, what we had been or I had been learning through pre on video form, and to see it live in the flesh against somebody who is like a. You know, who's 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 absorbed this at a, and and reinterpreted it in his own way through yourself. I thought was really good. And some of my guys still talk about it. Nipple on the on the on the floor, <laughs> 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 and your little little interesting catchphrases. I thought, um, but that's the value in I think in what Preet is showing is that he's he embraces the fact that people like you, um, Raul, and whoever else, myself, I guess have reinterpreted and have found my way of, of using it um, to my advantage, sometimes to my disadvantage, but then this, it's a work in progress. It's a constant work in progress, which I also like that idea. For any instructor who says, this is a technique, do it properly, or you're not doing it properly, I think is is a bit closed-minded. Everything is open to interpretation and adaptation and evolving. I guess that kind of goes on to the the overarching point then that we've been building towards is that you know you you came through in the early days of jujitsu you couldn't be more regimented with simon dickey and wilson and all those those early carlson guys it was very they have a style shall we say um then eddie who like say who went very much down the the gracie self-defense route eventually so that was you know his more his styling then uh, the fantastic uh, Nick over at Mill Hill, and uh, you know he's churned out some fantastic people. And obviously, you know through a, a RGA kind of uh, background, plus his his own stylings, uh, to then go into all the instructions you picked up over the years, plus then the the very very different style of pre is how did you find coming through the route you did to then bring in that information and change up how did it change up your your game and how you coach so i think one of the best things that happened to me was was lockdown where i had that opportunity to just roll just roll day after day with my friends 
uh, without the the peer pressure, if you like, and without any instructor or coach looking at me. Sometimes I'd film those recordings and criticize, critique myself. We've carried on that tradition, by the way. We still roll uh, just once a week now. Um, and it's, what is it now, two years solidly. And really, that's my training time. I, you're probably the same. I'm at a level where I don't, I, I hesitate to say I don't need the coach, but I'm okay with coaching myself. And I know when I've fucked up, and I know how to correct it next time I fuck up. Um, and so, so for me personally, my biggest growth ability in ability has been since I haven't had a coach. And I've just been doing my own stuff, picking and choosing techniques that I know are my weaknesses, working more on my strengths. Oh, this looks interesting, like kid in the candy store. Let's try a bit of that. And I don't even drill. I just try them in sparring and if I fuck up I try it the next week and if it really isn't for me I'll put it to one side so that's one aspect of my personal growth and how I've used different strands of things sometimes a TikTok video that looks kind of funny and it's like 20 seconds of content I think "Mm, I can try that I'll do it shittily but over time I think there's merit in it I'll do my version of it and the other strand where I think I've really grown since I got my black belt is teaching Okay, and you find that yourself. When you teach something, you can teach it the way you do it. And if your student is fucking it up, is it because he's shit or is it because I'm a shit teacher? Uh, can I adapt what I taught into that suits him? Because his elbow is a bit like this and his neck is a bit like that and his body isn't the same. So I've got better at that. And the two things come together and that's what makes me me now. I'm not, I, I think I'm still quite shit as a, as a, as a black belt, but I'm better as Seymour Yang than I was five years ago. That's for sure. Does that answer your question, or did I completely go off on a tangent? No, no, that's the interesting thing. Like, and this is why um, I really am interested in, in. So you mentioned there almost it's. I'm I'm loath to say it. Of you know, it seems to be the the current controversial buzzword of you know, ecological approach, coaching or training, etc. And I think when as soon as you say it, it turns people off who who are like, well, no, this is this is just modern woo woo or something. Um, but it's there's a lot of value in it in that you know i i, I remember keenan saying it at a seminar nine years ago when he said oh yeah i don't drill i might drill to warm up but i i take a technique and then i want to see if it works in sparring or if i have an idea i want to see if i can make it work in sparring and that's how essentially worm guard came around then lachlan was saying something very similar in regards to since pretty much purple belt it was a sense of I'm going to go into positions and try and catch people and stuff. And if they get through, then I'll do it again. Then you're saying the same as, you know, I, I don't drill. I haven't drilled in years. And that makes it a bit of a disconnect in that. Why am I asking, why would I ask people to drill if I don't learn that way? Um, I like to say, you know, I feel the biggest growth has come since I stopped drilling. Um, and since it's more, sparring with purpose like i need to make this happen i don't care if i lose i'm trying something out um <clears throat> what we do now int- is what i've, I've I mean, with that in mind that same thing is i also came to that same conclusion going why am i getting these guys like you've got two minutes to drill do it 10 times when i don't do that myself and i haven't done since probably purple belt um, so what I've done is changed, tweaked how I run a class now. So I'll teach a technique. They get to try it a few times. And then we do uh, King of the Hill. 
it kind of works for things like guard passing and uh, sweeps and, um, and and that sort of thing. Doesn't quite work for other positions where you you pretty much have to start from a certain weird position where it doesn't work in King of the Hill. But I still try and make it work. And the feedback I got from the students has been so much more positive because saying we love love this sort of moving on to straight to using it against resistance type of thing. It does befuddle a few people who have no generally have coordination issues and hand eye learning, seeing something and doing it things. Um, so I try to help them out a bit. But for most students, they much prefer that format where there's slightly less drilling and more use of it in a scenario that seems more real. Completely. And it's, it, I think it makes it then easier to bring in those concepts. I think when you go very detail heavy and you're asking someone to remember, I think when you get like top of the, the tree, as in you know very fine detailed submission stuff, like, yeah, okay, you, you have to kind of give full detail. But when it comes to guard passing or guard retention or escaping from something, it's it's chaos. And to ask someone to replicate chaos um, or replicate something within chaos, it's you're waiting for particles of smoke to realign, and it's it's crazy. Um, and so it, it does really change up then, I say, class structures that I wouldn't do this. Why would I ask you to do it? Um and and setting a a goal and asking them to to fulfil it, uh, which I imagine is very different to most of the the learning you did prior to um, to to teaching, like you know from Eddie, Nick, and and Wilson, etc. Um, going from that, then is so you you know you have twenty years twenty years in this, so you're fifty four now. You started at thirty four. I'm 36, yeah. so yeah, oh, dude, I feel old now. I don't know if it's the <laughs> mileage of jujitsu. Like, if I just started jujitsu now and had to take beatings, I oh man, I, and, that, be, and, sure. and be nine stone. Yeah, oh, actually, though, no, I used to fight at under 12. Like, I was a lot smaller hmm. than I am now. I used to cut aggressively, um, so I do remember being a small person in a room full of <laughs> very big people. Um. Oh man, I I wouldn't. Oh, most days I feel like the world is ending. Like let alone like <laughs> doing it like in my forties. Um. So where do you think this is going to go then? As it's quite interesting is that uh, there's obviously a lot of uh, holdouts. You know, especially like say Preet gets gets shit on Reddit. Um, when it comes to his coaching and Greg Soda seems to be argued against and and various other people is how do you see coaching obviously has changed in the 20 years you've done uh where do you think it's going to go then in regards to stylistically compared to where jiu-jitsu has been <clears throat> i think the shall we say the orthodox approach of here's a technique copy it drill it now we do sparring that will form the basis of most gyms going forward regardless of whatever changes there are what we're seeing now at our club now is I am tweaking it so there's a little bit more resistance training and I also dedicate more time to sparring it used to be that I could teach three or four techniques and oh we've got 10 minutes for sparring there you go you got one round where I'll try and teach two techniques and now you have 40 minutes of sparring um, but it's handy I teach two hour class I teach a one hour fundamentals and I teach the, the second hour, I pretty much do one technique and then the rest of it is sparring. So the guys who stay for the full two hours, they're getting a really good 
session. The guys who only come for one hour, the first hour, tend to be the, the beginners who aren't interested in full-on sparring. They still get a little bit. So I think that balance sorts itself out. So I think in terms of the, the way things are taught, that isn't going to change too much, albeit with a few tweaks. What I can see changing a lot more is... Um, you get two things. You're either going to specialise in, for example, the, the London Grapple. They're, they're pretty much all no-gi, aren't they? And they're all pretty much focused on the ADC style of format and a submission wrestling type of thing. Or you've got traditional jiu-jitsu clubs like Nick's, Mill Hills, you know, our Rogers, that sort of thing. But what I, I've been doing, and I'm, I talk regularly with um, my business partner, Sandeep, who's the head coach at um, RGA South Hearts, is to take elements of other things so that students get the best all-round experience, which in a full-time club, as you probably know, even then it's quite hard to slot something into a timetable. Look, I think we should do a little bit of combat jiu-jitsu where we're punching our faces in while we're trying to grapple. Where can we put that in? Well, there's a kid's class. Let's shove that up there. Okay, put a bit of um, punchy, punchy, kicky stuff with the grappling in. Right, well, where do we do self-defense? We don't do self-defense. We might mention it in class. Okay get rid of self-defense stuff okay but what are the guys who don't want to compete you know they don't want to do competition training every single day all right let's focus on techniques on monday and so but we're trying to give a more authentic all-round experience and i'm proud that we've got 50 percent gi 50 percent no gi which never happened back when i started when i started no, gi was the only thing you could do and no gi was for weirdos right <laughs> And poor people who couldn't afford the gi. And as a gi reviewer, I looked down on the no-gi people. That, I think, is why there was more no-gi up in the north. It's always been no-gi up here, is that oh. we're just poorer. Um, weirdly, that's... Again, I need to check sources, but I'm you know, just like uh, side there. Is I'm pretty sure that is why leg locks were banned. Is that... I know, weird. So it's classism. Um, is that you had middle class kids back in Brazil who could afford geese and could afford jujitsu, um, and then you had the the poorer luta livre kids in the in the slums who were based on British catch wrestling essentially, and they had leg locks. And so when the the Tudo fights would happen between the middle class jujitsu kids and the um, poorer Luta Livre kids, the Luta Livre kids would win with leg locks. And it was like, oh, you you won with your poor kid technique? And so that's then essentially why it was kind of banned, is that it was essentially classism of middle-class kids not liking that they're losing to poor kids. Um, and you can see that a lot with... with uh, you can definitely be interested in a little study on that, of where pockets of jiu-jitsu sat. It was very much in the cities and people who could afford the, the geese, etc. But you start going out into the north where it was, you know, a bit more impoverished. No gi was king. Like, the gi did not come up here, even though it's colder. Is that, you know, those early days trying to get like a black eagle or, or any of those, like, no, we'll just roll in the cold if hoodies on then. Like going to an old competition in Manchester in like 2009 looked like an EDL rally. It was just skinheads everywhere. Um, it was, it was skinheads and tattoos and nogi everywhere um, I think one of the, the best things that has happened rec on the recent scene in the UK is the popularity of grappling industries um, hmm. they, they changed the rule set 
they said you can reap from white belt you can wrist lock from white belt At blue belt you can toe hold a knee bar and you could but you still can only heel hook from i think brown belt onwards so they they kept the best bits of what they saw as the rule set and then they adapted it got rid of the shitty bits like knee reaping which is a ridiculous rule right because you could get single leg x and if the per you know it's so anatomically makes sense to just drag your foot across their belly button so the uki turns in that sort of way but that's illegal you know if you initiate it but nothing's happening he's not injured you're not allowed to trap the leg and all that um so that's that i'm glad they've done that so now that's forced us as coaches to change our syllabus right so it used to be used to having a good excuse going you're not allowed to to do this technique because you know, you'll get DQ'd in competition. Now we have to say, right, in an IBJJF competition, you're allowed to do this. But grappling industries and Naga and this and that, you can. So we're going to teach it to you anyway. So now we're teaching knee reaping, but we have to specify the rules. But that's great, right? Because in the old days, it was like simply, you're not allowed to do this technique. End of story. That's not jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu is constantly moving and evolving. And don't you want to be an effective grappler, right? Which is weird, because I'm pretty sure the old UMA... You could knee bar, because I remember winning quite a few oh, yes. knee bars very early on, like in the nogi kind of world. Like it, a lot of that stuff was has kind of always been there up 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 in the north. Um, and so I remember uh, like Matty Holmes. Um, you know, we had a fight. I think 2011, 2012, and I, I think I got him in a knee bar. And you think those are early days? Um, I, I remember doing inverted knee bars on people at like. 2011 so it would have been intermediate level um to like blue belts um and that's sense what caught me off guard eventually when i started to understand more of what bjj was like oh you can't knee bar like it was it was the strangest thing um it, it was interesting that like, kind of north-south divide in that in that kind of way like you go north of watford and it all kind of changes <laughs> in regards to jiu-jitsu or as soon as you come out of birmingham i guess um i'd say grappling industries absolutely but i think it was meta morris when money appeared and you know essentially they were the first pay-per-view jujitsu event um and people were winning with leg locks i think that was the first kind of like oh damn like this needs this is big like we need to start all playing this and then obviously polaris followed and you know naga and grappling industries then got got bigger but yeah Eddie Bravo, man. Yeah, no, I appreciate the the professional fight scene has has ballooned. My my the point I was trying to make is that yeah. as a coach of your regular hobbyist student, right? They now grappling industries is a hobbyist competition, right? Your your average white belt is going to turn up now. If he only ever learned IBJJF rules, he's going to get reaped to hell and back and not understand what how to defend it or mm-hmm. do anything. <clears throat> so I think that's been good for the scene because then we've been able to open up the leg lock game to people who would have been shielded from it until they were like a purple belt. Uh, and I think that can only be a good thing. Remember the old excuse was, well, they shouldn't be learning leg locks, they should be learning to pass the guard. <laughs> well, why can't you teach both? Yeah. <laughs> it's, I, d- I don't understand. Not my problem, you still lost. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> um, it's interesting that it's, it's, I say stylistically, um, it's, changed so much in our lifetime but i think it's the fact that now coaching has also caught up with changing practices 
as in we always we could always you know as coaches see the way the wind was blowing with techniques and bring the techniques in i think you probably as as much as uh, anyone else from the early days remembers the introduction of eddie and rubber guard and lockdown and twisters and I was joking about this the other day. Is that I still get people coming in saying, "Oh yeah, have you heard about this guy called Eddie Bravo?" I'm like, "Oh no, like, you're at that phase." <laughs> it's like Hitler's like they hit puberty. Like, oh no, oh their voices dropping. Oh, they've they've learned things. They've learned what girls are. Oh, bless. Like, like, no, they're gonna learn eventually. Um, <laughs> But yeah, like it's it's you know changed then, but we could we adapted. We saw the introduction of these new ideas, and we went, okay, cool. We'll bring it into normal training. But I think now with with the advent of YouTube and and very smart people uh, being we're well, having a platform. Uh, Lachlan, Danaher, uh, Biernaki, Sodas. It has meant we've all had to look and go, oh yeah, like maybe we actually need to learn how to teach properly and be actual teachers instead of just being called professor um or sensei uh that's interesting i so i think you, you you i guess we can never tell where it's, it's gonna it's gonna go but it has been a very interesting shift over a very short amount of time it must only be the past six years this is all kind of just kicked into gear um do you think gi will be around much i say you're already at 50 percent uh, <clears throat> yeah, that's. I mean, that's an interesting one. I think yes. There's a, there's a, there's still that sort of fetishization of the uniform, yeah. which if Cosplay. you want to call yourself a martial art, you're going to have a uniform, right? Uh, and it's always associated with the gi. And I think the allure of the gi is what attracts some people. Maybe not wanting to wear it, but there's nothing cooler than. A guy wearing a gi and a black belt, right? It's it's the quintessential martial yeah. art image, a visual. Yeah. Also, as a as an artist, right? I like drawing people in gis, and I, so I don't want I don't want it to be. <laughs> I like pe- drawing people with black belts. And if if the world suddenly overnight said, right, all jujitsu is now no gi, I'd probably lose a lot of jobs because like, well, what am I going to draw? You know, fucking Peruvian necktie. Great, you don't even see their face. You know, it's, I want to see gis flapping around. It's very roman- It's a romanticized view. And I I accept it for what it is, <clears throat> and yeah, you could argue well, the gi is great for learning gi techniques, but it's not really applicable for real life, is it? Are you really going to pull guard and do spider guard, grabbing the sleeves, in a street fight? I, I'd argue that maybe no gi is more useful to that. Yeah. So when I teach class, actually, I I I, I teach gi on Thursdays and no gi on Saturdays, and then on Sundays I teach a bunch of privates, and it could be anything, right? Um. In my gi class, I'll show a technique and I'll show the no gi version, or at least mention it, and then if if there's a difference. And in my gi no gi class, I'll go right. Of course, of course, in the key version, we've got this version of the collar grab. We can't do that, so we have to now do the collar tie. So know the difference. I'm drilling into them that there's a difference, but essentially we're doing the same mechanical move of adjusting the head, manipulating the spine, changing their weight distribution, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think grappling is grappling. Like you can obviously amplify your grips with fabric, but it's. I think the the days where people would be lost in one if they didn't do the other, have has kind of gone by the wayside. 
Uh, a no-gi person can definitely put the jacket on and not feel like they're going to die. And same as a gi per- I, I remember the days where I say gi was, was it, the only thing you could find. And people would arrive at fighting fit and they'd be like, well, I don't know how to grab you. What do you mean? We, I only grab fabric. <laughs> That's frustrating. <laughs> I, um, well, grab my body would be a good start on my head. <laughs> um, a couple of times I've, I've rolled with MMA, uh, uh, dedicated MMA people, people who actually compete in the ring rather mm. than, I'm an MMA guy, right? Yeah. You know, they're <laughs> competitors. Brad Pickett used to be a sparring partner of mine because, you know, he, he's uh, my size. He mm. used to go to Eddie's a lot. Apparently, he's been told to do learn some jiu-jitsu. So he'd go to Eddie's, put a jacket on, half-heartedly, no belt, and beat the shit out of everyone with his wrestling. Because his top game was insane. And then at uh, Mill Hill, we'd had a few MMA guys come in because maybe they ought to learn a bit of jiu-jitsu and their grappling wasn't good enough in their MMA class. You roll with them and you can't do anything to them because their top game is insane. Um, maybe they don't know how to do spider guard or lasso guard. Who cares? Their top game is insane. What are they, what are they going to do to you from top from the top? Smash your lights out with their fists. So um, I, I actually recommend uh, people who think they're decent in the gi to roll with an MMA guy who may have never touched the gi and see where you go from there because it's a different ball, different ball game. That weirdly goes into my whole thing right now in that I am objectivity and you know it's you mentioned they come across an MMA fighter people who don't like going onto their back and all of a sudden like you realize that what part of the jiu-jitsu works you think you're good at guard sweep someone who doesn't want to fall over that's really difficult Um, sweeping people who like falling over dead easy you know, jiu-jitsu people like playing guard it's the cult of the guard yet you then go against say, an MMA fighter or a wrestler in cosplay and you know, oh they don't even know what the hell I'm doing and I still can't make it work against them exactly that's yeah which or a complete newcomer who's a bit handy in terms of their coordination you try and sweep they're going why is this guy being so stubborn he's a newbie how dare you not be swept by my yeah. awesome scissor sweep Rugby players, mm. oh Just yeah, fuck them. There's <laughs> 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 a yeah. brown belt. I, I hated those people. They are fucking solid. <laughs> yeah, like just roll over. You're supposed to. You're supposed to go down. No. <laughs> oh, if you'd say that. Um, let's, let's just have a, a podcast where we whinge about <laughs> the types of people that we don't want to. Don't want to have in our gym. Rugby <laughs> players, judoka. <laughs> MMA guys, like all I'm really is a meek and mild, a weak person with no coordination that look up to me like I'm an amazing sensei. You're a perfect student, right? Yeah, I think I think the older we get, the more the list that's just it's just going to grow. I, I hate anyone, young anyone people. Under 40, but yeah, <laughs> I hate people. People who can see. Like... <laughs> Wait, no, bl- blind grapplers are awesome. I I, I rolled with a bl- I rolled with a blind person who was really good. I rolled with a one-armed guy, and he caught me and um, he submitted me with his spare arm. I haven't rolled with someone who has had uh, who's been an amputee yet, but I'm just adding to my list of people who have tapped me, who are less able-bodied than me. Uh, I think, but that's the beauty of jiu-jitsu. They use jiu-jitsu yeah. to suit them, and I think that's amazing. We had a student. Uh, he was co-training with us and, and Bedlam. He still does train with Bedlam, uh, Jake, and he blind. 
Um, you know, you came in with his with a stick trying to find a changing room. But, you know, it really changed how I like to teach him. But apparently he had a judo background. And I think fantastic. Like, because obviously once he got his gi grips, you know, he was quite a dangerous guy. But then I thought, what kind of parent would like, you know, <laughs> would think this, my son doesn't know what's about to happen to him. Um <laughs> Like, come here. <laughs> like that's there's some interesting people. Um, but he was, yeah, he was a demon. Like he he got hold of your gi, and you'd be like, God damn, like get off me. Um, so <laughs> I think Morgan as well. I think one of his competitions, he rolled against a guy with one arm. I think it's it might have, it, it might even been Sam K because about the same kind of time period. I think Morgan went for an armbar on him, and then realized he didn't have an arm. And felt like felt like <laughs> Raffy's cheating. Like, <laughs> like you can't just hide it like that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's beauty of jujitsu is that it attracts all those people. But yeah, so I happily take all those people. Just fuck the wrestlers and fuck the rugby <laughs> players and fuck the MMA fighters and fuck twenty year olds in general. Like the ones yeah. who found TRT way too early. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nah, could don't want that. Um so what's what's uh your upcoming plan, sir? Have you have you uh anything on the horizon or is it just business as usual? It's business as usual. Um my wife is currently a bit of out of action at the moment she's got sciatica, so I, I've had to um cut down a lot of the extracurricular stuff I do, uh or rather not be so committed. So, for example, this weekend was meant to be the, a charity grapplethon with that Jun is organising, and I, I yes. I've been going about eleven years, and I've been to every single one. So this will be the first one I don't go to, so I'm a bit disappointed about. It. But I just I just can't afford the time to drive to Bristol and back down again, um, because you know who's going to drive my son to gymnastics? Who's going to take Amy to piano? Who's going to do this? So, uh, so my wife can't drive at the moment, and this looks like a long term thing. She's just had an MRI, and it's definite. Um, bulging disc which is creating a pain on the trap nerve so we're waiting for the doctor to see but anyway that's uh, uh, beside the point the point is um, uh, if I'm busy it's just because I have to share uh, do a lot more of the domestic stuff but I'm still teaching I'm still so my jiu-jitsu activities are I train with my buddies Jason and Gosha shout out to the White Basement podcast Um, a rival podcast to yourself but um, uh, so I train with them once a week you can cut that bit out. <laughs> I, I challenge you to have as weird a, a selection of guests as they have. If you just look at the roll call of who they've had on, it's it's a real test of your uh, willingness to uh, uh, be open-minded, shall we speak. But uh, they know that. you know They know what they're doing. So anyway, I train with them uh, once a week. I teach twice a week. I have privates. And if I have time, I'll try to go to an open mat. But that, you know, the gym's literally... No, Sandeep did a, did me a favour. He opened up a he he re, we, when we reopened after COVID. The if you've been there, it's that's two minutes cycle ride mm. from my house, a seven minute walk. So I'm laughing. So I can nip down there for lunch. I can nip down there for an afternoon session, teach a bit, go home, have something to eat, come back again. It's great. So that's sorting me out. I've got loads of art commissions going on. I've had to say no to quite a few uh, unless you know. Uh, unless it's a, a good regular cl- customer uh, client, so and so I'm I'm keeping everything like a, what I normally do. But um, anything where I have to travel, I, I kind of have to say oh, I can't do yeah. that. Although that being said, I did go to Cagliari for the Roger Gracie summer camp uh, in Italy in 
July or was it August? June or summer anyway. And on the mat in the training room was 37 degrees. It was 34 mm. degrees outside. That was in the evening. But inside the room, which their ventilation was like, you know, those stand-up office mm. fans. And 150 to 200 people in there. It was, by my estimate, approaching 37, 38 degrees. In the gi. Of course, none of the Brazilians were sweating. They're used to it, right? No. And there's me. And I was dying. I was absolutely dying. And I thought, you know what? I, I've been to... A, it was every day for four days, three days. I went to two sessions. I thought, fuck this. You know, I'm just going to be a tourist. And I enjoyed Cagliari's food and wine and beaches. Just like a tourist. I just wanted to, I don't do jiu-jitsu in hot weather. I just, I, I've now realized. But anyway, no. I, that was my... That was my taster for doing a jiu-jitsu summer camp, which you're a pro at this, but, you know, that was my first one. <laughs> no, it's, um, they are, I, I think you, you accidentally became a globetrotter. You were like, you know what, I'm going to go to a jiu-jitsu camp and not do jiu-jitsu. I'm just going to go wander <laughs> around. That's, that's the globetrotter spirit. <laughs> you found it. Good. We don't do jiu-jitsu. <laughs> um, we get drunk instead <laughs> and go find food. Um that's fantastic uh hopefully i get to to come down again soon i think we did say after the ryan hall seminar i'm going to to come down and and play with you guys again um that seminar changed everything i'd like to see how or where it has affected you guys and and your style of training so i'd like to come and share ideas on that because i i had to rewrite everything after that seminar frustratingly so it'd be i'd like to come down and, and play and, and see where you guys are at uh and you say uh saturday is your nogi day saturday is my nogi day thursday evenings is, is gi um unless it's super hot which was for like about a day in the uk yeah. uh, <laughs> and which i just said I said, guys, you don't have to bring your gear today. So that was it. Um, but yeah, Thursdays is, is, is no gear. Um, but I, I li- literally live around the corner. So uh, uh, we have three instructors. So I, I take two days. The other instructor takes three three days and one instructor takes two days. So um, you know, we have a fairly flexible uh, timetable. Just let me know. Do come down. It'd be brilliant. Saturday sounds sounds relatively easy. Mm. Uh, what time is your Saturday? Uh, I, I kick off with a 9.30 morning class. And uh, there's a, then for the fundamentals, 10.30 main class, which is mostly sparring. And then whoever sticks around, really, uh, after that. Um, and, and the rest of the day is free. I'll uh, I'll see if I can um, come down soon. Sir, thank you for your time. I did say we'll do 45 minutes. It's been, like, closer to two hours. Uh, so I do apologize for taking up a large portion of your mid-afternoon. Um, but it's been an absolute pleasure, uh, Mr. Miyakatsu, to see more Yang. <laughs> Pleasure's um, all mine. Thank you very much, and uh, shout out to all your listeners. And um, cheers. Best of luck with the podcast. I'll uh, link all your, especially if you're now making uh, YouTube content. I'll link all that kind of stuff on the description. So if anyone wants to go see Seymour's uh, work um, in regards to his artwork, his his general Instagram social media ness, or uh, like I said, he's he's now making 
content uh, that I'll link well, all of, um, um since since you know we're on topic here with the with the preet stuff and your defensive stuff there's there's a lot of me trying to interpret interpret the defensive BJJ on my Mikatsu YouTube channel or Mikatsu BJJ YouTube channel not the art one and uh, they get a lot of views there's a lot of interest out there a lot of views a lot of comments a lot of shares uh, more than my art stuff so um, it's it's relevant material for your audience so I think uh, it would be good yeah yeah, I completely uh, I'll, I'll make those links to that so if you listen to this on Spotify or Apple or any of those things go on to do uh, Chris Payne's BJJ YouTube and there'll be links in the description for this video but, sir, thank you for your time, and I will see you very soon. Indeed. All the best. Stop recording.